I am Zarina Dimitrova, a strategic partner and mentor to businesses in the process of transformation. Join me on Grow and Learn as we explore a range of topics from personal development and career advancement to relationship building and financial management. With practical advice, inspiring stories and expert interviews, we'll give you the tools you need to thrive in every aspect of your life. Join us as we share insights and strategies that can help you achieve your personal and professional growth objectives. Are you an entrepreneur struggling with sales or are you in sales in a larger company? In any case, it seems like we're all in sales in one way or another. My guest today on the Grow and Learn podcast is going to talk to us about a way to sell in a way that customers want to buy. I'm welcoming Christine Zhivago, CEO of a marketing and a marketing and sales coaching company. Welcome, Christine. Thank you. Thank you. Actually, it's a digital agency that I run now. Aha, okay. A digital agent. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> How long have you been in this business for? Uh, started this one in 2017. Started my, I started the tech agency in uh, early 80s, believe it or not. Uh, and then when the web came out, um, actually when the Mac came out, my husband was doing our graphics and I looked at him. I said, everybody's going to go in house. So he retired and uh, I reinvented myself, called myself a revenue coach because I knew that CEOs didn't care whether it was sales or marketing. They just wanted more revenue. Right. And then I ended up doing marketing and sales turnaround for companies of all sizes, all the way up to IBM. Mm -hmm. um, and then when 2017 rolled around, I realized that there were a lot of established companies that had good products, good people, uh, but they were like deer in the headlights when it came to digital marketing. So I opened up this company and we've been going gangbusters ever since. Wow. Amazing. Congratulations on that. So, so your um, theory or it's, it's now in practice, the, your approach to sales and marketing has been in the making for 20 years now, for actually 40 years since the eighties. Yes. It's <laughs> a lot. It's longer a lot. than I care to even remember. Okay, so when was the point when you realized this is the exact uh, uh, approach or procedure that I'm following and this is exactly what works for my clients? Uh, it was back when I was doing the ad agency, I would sit down with a client, you know, and we'd go through one of the things we would talk about is what they thought was important to their customers and why they bought and all of that. And then I would go out and interview customers using this method of open-ended questions, phone interview. Um, I would record the conversation, but I would tell them I was going to anonymize it for the report so they wouldn't be attributing uh, comments to a person. And people then relax, and I never do reveal who said what. And they tell me, they open up, and they tell me things that they probably wouldn't say directly to the company. They, they're too polite, usually. Um, and I discovered that their list of desires and concerns and questions was completely different than what the people at the company were thinking. And that's when I thought, wait a minute, there's a gap. <laughs> like in the UK, they say, mind the gap. Yeah. Well, there is a big uh -huh. gap. And that uh -huh. gap meant that they were spending all of their money on the wrong messaging. They were not actually giving the customers what they wanted during the buying process or even in the product itself. Yeah. So, so I would take that information back to the managers 
and say, okay, here's the truth. Now we need to adjust what we're doing for that to align with that truth. And I've been doing that ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, isn't this what was previously coined customer centric marketing, like back in the 80s when you were doing that? <laughs> Interview? Yeah. And and one to one marketing, all that stuff. But the problem is they they kept it's like personas. They sort of develop what they think the customer wants. Uh-huh. That's the problem. I mean, this is so simple. I, it's not rocket science. It's not like I came up with some amazing concept. It's just that nobody does it. Yeah. And, well, the marketers are too shy. The salespeople think they know. But when you're talking to a salesperson, you never tell them what you're really thinking. Yeah. So what are some of the major gaps that you've seen? Is there um, a trend that you've noticed when it comes to the this gap? Or yeah. Is it- specific to a customer it's it is specific to a customer i'll, I'll give you a good case study example mm-hmm. um years ago we we're working with us I, I mostly worked with tech companies until the web came out and then i switched i was b2b or b2c it didn't matter um <clears throat> but there was a software company that had a very nice product for any company that had a field service team going out and repairing things or going delivering whatever and uh this company, the, the the head of the company was a technical guy, very smart, and they worked out a very elegant way of integrating with QuickBooks. They were real proud of that. It was hard. It took them a lot of work. So they were really proud of that. So they kept pushing that in all their oh, what, messages. What is QuickBooks? I'm not aware. QuickBooks is, is pretty much the most common entrepreneurial accounting program. Okay. So what they were doing with all of this, um, the the techs and and all of those processes were integrating with QuickBooks. So they thought that was really hot. So then I went out and interviewed their customers. <laughs> oh, and by the way, the company was called Pioneer Interactive, which didn't tell you anything. Okay, so that was a problem too. Um, and went out and interviewed customers, and it turns out they all said, oh, yeah, everybody integrates with QuickBooks. Whether it was elegant or not, they didn't care. They just wanted to know if the data went back and forth. And I said, well, then why did you buy this program? Well, because when I enter the customer's information at the very beginning of the relationship, and I type in the address and phone number and directions and and the tools people need to bring and all that, it immediately populates every other part of the program. So when I go to do an invoice, all that data is in there. When I go to have um, directions for the text, the map comes up and that's all in there. So it was the entrepreneurial dream of enter something once and not have to enter it more than once Mm because entrepreneurs hate to be entering data more than once, very wasteful. Mm -hmm. So uh, I went back to them and we ended up renaming the company to field one, like field technicians, field, but it was also you only enter the data once in each field and okay. So um, that was that whole shift where they emphasized that enter data once, everything's pre-populated. That was their main message from that point forward. And he ended up selling that company to Microsoft for many millions of dollars and ended up working for them for a while. That was a perfect example of just that conceptual being off target because you're inside and you think these things are important and they're not. Yeah. Okay. So you have a book that outlines uh, the entire process of how to interview and 
what what else does it outline? What is what is it? Yeah, Tell us about the first. The Yeah, the the first thing is is just why you have to think like a buyer. Because the minute you start a company, the minute you start selling, you're going to put on your seller hat and you're going to stop you're you're just not going to be thinking the way a buyer does. Now, since I wrote the book, I'll just take a little side road here. I have written a, a guide called Mindset Driven Marketing. And it talks about the mindset when the person sets out to buy. That's the most important thing. And it consists of their desires, what they want, their concerns, like they've tried this before, didn't work, they were disappointed, whatever, and their questions. Once you've passed those first two barriers, once once they know you have what they want and you address their concerns, then they have very specific questions. And often those questions are not answered, even on Amazon, which is probably the the site that makes it the easiest for people to buy, which is why Bezos is a millionaire, um, besides having good processes, but that's that feeds into that whole thing, making it easier to buy. Um, the, the questions are very specific to usage, like what's going to happen to me after I buy? Will this thing fit with the other thing? How is it going to work with my whatever? And people just don't answer those questions as they should. So that's that's a gap. It's sort of a mini gap underneath all this. So the first few chapters of the book are explaining the difference between the buyer's mindset and the customer's mindset. Then chapter three, I, I give you exactly how you should get these interviews. It's a method I've worked out over thousands of interviews for hundreds of companies, and it works. I even have questions that you can that you can start with and you can drill down a little bit here and there. So the, all those techniques, very simple process. You can interview five to seven people of a given type and get bankable information. They'll all start by the third or fourth interview. They'll all start saying the same thing, even using the same phrase, even though they've never talked to each other. So that gives you the data. I teach you how to put it into a report that's categorized by subject. It's a conversational Here's the, the transcriptions. Here's what everybody said in answer to this question and that question. And then you do a recommendations and summary report for management, even though they will read the entire conversational report. Um, that bubbles up. It, it bubbles up the information. It bulletizes it so that you can get the highlights and say the highlights and say, okay, we recommend you do this and that. Then the rest of the book is about the buying process for four types, the four types of products and services in the world, based on the amount of scrutiny that the person applies to the purchase. So there's light scrutiny, medium scrutiny, heavy scrutiny, and intense. Light is see it, buy it, impulse purchase, cheap, very few questions, nobody else involved, no contract, <laughs> no salesperson, you just see it, buy it. Medium is things like clothing, where you have a couple of questions and maybe there's someone else involved, but mostly it's a, a solo purchase and then you buy it uh, and it's a little bit more expensive, of course. And then heavy scrutiny is there's a contract, there's a salesperson. It's like a house or a car in the B2C market. And then intense is all of that, but you get married. It's a long-term thing. And it's the kind of thing that we're selling here at Chivago Partners because we really get into the, the workings of the customer's business and we do everything we can to, 
you know, there's a lot of interaction. So those are the four types. When I say those things, every entrepreneur knows where their product fits. Mm -hmm. And this book says, okay, if that's where you are, here's their buying process and the types of concerns and questions they have. And here's how you sell to them. I see. Um, if I can throw my five cent of experience here with, with a similar process. Uh, in 2010, I was doing an uh, MBA internship in HP in um, San Cugat in Spain. Mm -hmm. And we were working on introducing a large-scale digital printer. Until then, uh, the digital printers were uh, only small scale. So you couldn't, um, if you wanted to, let's say, print 5,000 um, things on a crate, like, like uh, those crates where they deliver fruits and vegetables, uh, it, it would be very expensive because they would have to make a mold and you know use a large-scale printer that was not digital. Uh, and it was very expensive to do it with the small-scale digital printers because they're meant for smaller-scale uh, prints. So we actually went around to all to a lot of producers. It was actually a lot of work before the development, five years before the launch of mm -hmm. this type of printer. We went around. I was with another uh, partner of mine. We did this project. Went around to these um, producers of um, fruits and vegetables and asked them what kind of crates, how often they need to change the branding and so on. So we actually did field research long in advance. And, and you're right, the insight that you get is incredible. And after the third interview, you know, the, the responses start repeating. So I, I totally understand the the process that you're describing. And uh, well, that was on the uh, product development part, but I suppose it's similar to um, even changing existing marketing processes. Yep. hundred yeah. percent. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a very interesting type of work. <laughs> yeah. So what else? What, how, what are some of the questions? Can you give us some examples of uh, certain questions that you can ask the client? Yeah, the first one is basic. Um, how do you feel about our product or service? Okay, and just let them talk. By the way, one of the, the rules here is that you can't stop. You can't stop interviewing at any point. You can't start selling. The minute you start selling, like if they say, oh, um, we liked it, but we really wished it had this thing. And you and you you can't say, oh, well, we just introduced that two weeks ago. I'll send you some information. Suddenly it becomes a sales call. Yeah. And they'll shut down. Mm -hmm. They'll just be like, you know, what you do is you say, oh, I, I might have a solution for that, but let's let's talk separately about that. You just dismiss it. You gotta stay in interviewing mode because they'll get bored really fast if you don't do that. Yeah. And you do have to listen actively. You can't be doing your email or anything else while you're doing this. You have to be 100% with them. And whoever does the interviews should be knowledgeable about the the topic or the subject, uh, because that's another thing that makes them bored, especially the technical people. They'll be like, oh, geez, she doesn't know anything about this. And so they just, you know, um, I used to run into problems because my voice sounds young, younger than I am. And they'd be like, oh, geez, some 17-year-old girl has called me. And I'd say, no, 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 I've been in tech for 40 years or whatever. And they'd be like, oh, okay, I can talk. So, so you interviewing your company, uh, did you hire somebody from the client company or assign somebody no, from the client I company? always do this myself. 
Uh huh. Even and how and how do you make sure that you're knowledgeable about all the? Well, I typically work with companies where I am knowledgeable. In other words, I have enough experience in their area or their market to be able to ask the questions. Um, and if I don't, I make sure I do ahead of time. But because I was in the tech on the tech side, I had enough experience. And now on the business consumer side, we we have a company that sells beans in jars. Um, and I'm a foodie, you know, I'm a good cook. So there was there was some natural um, things that go on there. So what do you think about our products and services? Um, what else did you consider when you were thinking of buying us? You know, and what did you think of them? Why did didn't you buy from them? That's important. Um, Sorry for interrupting. I think we didn't mention that we're interviewing or that you're interviewing existing customers, customers that have already bought. I think we yes. missed this part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, we we did talk. I, I brushed past it quickly. Um, the problem with interviewing customers who haven't bought or who are thinking of buying is that they're still playing poker. They don't want to tell you what they're really thinking. You will not get the truth out of those people. So you have to go back to the customers. It's like reverse engineering a successful sale and mm -hmm. trying to create them in quantity. That's really what this is all about. I'm very engineering uh, minded and, and, you know, the idea of saying, going to the source of the people and then repeating the process for the people who've already bought. That's the idea. Um, another question I like to ask is if you were the CEO of this company tomorrow, What's the first thing you would focus on or fix? And that's a very interesting question because they'll, they might have been mentioned something, but then they'd say, oh man, the first thing I would do, they, they sort of reiterate and, and reinforce the idea that, you know, they really do have to fix this thing because that almost stopped me from buying or, or I managed to get my way around it, or it was really not, you know, they knew, they knew to fix this. Um, the good thing about that is it teaches you what you can promote, what you're good at, why they bought from you. But at the same time, you also learn what you need to fix in the background so that you can then come out later with improvements and say to people, hey, you know, you thought this wasn't good. We fixed it. And that's a good thing to be able to do. I ask them what trends they see in their industry or that line of product, whatever it is. Um, and people have a surprising amount of opinions and knowledge about the products that they buy and the services that they buy and what they want and what they don't want. Now, CEOs have asked me, you know, how, how can somebody talk for 30 or 40 minutes about this buying purchase? <laughs> All I have to do is say, well, what's the last car you bought, you know? And how long did it take you? What were your questions? Why didn't you, you know, and then they start thinking, they go, oh, okay. Yeah. I guess I could talk 30 or 40 minutes about that. Um, uh, another question I ask is what's your biggest problem in this area? Or when I'm doing B2B, I ask them in your line of work. And that, ex that exposes some issues that people might have been having that you could possibly solve. So you're finding opportunities for more sales while you're also finding out how to sell what you already have. Mm -hmm. Do you find it generally easy to um, find clients that are willing to spend so much time interviewing with you? You mean the customers of the client? Yes. yes. Um, what I do is I go to the client, my client, and say, okay, I'm going to need 
for each each category, I need at least five people. And you you ask the client to introduce you to the people. That way you get mostly about half of the people will sign up for it and be okay with the phone call. Uh, if I don't have the client introduce me, usually a third of the people will respond and say yes. A third of the people need reminding mm -hmm. and a third will never respond. But that's enough. So you have 15 of each type. You've got their contact information, a little spreadsheet that says here's a little information about them and what they bought and so on. Um, and you make an appointment. Yeah. So they have it, their calendar blocked out and then they talk. So minimum 15 people you interview. Uh, I Well, it depends on how many kind of customers. Mm -hmm. If it's only one type of customer they're selling to, I can interview five to seven. If it's three types of customers, then I have to do five of each. It was the 15 I don't end up talking to. It's 15 people I start with. I see. For a given group. And and then we have those breakouts of how many people actually get back to you, how many people have to be reminded and so on. Yeah. And what is the most surprising outcome that you've uh, encountered so far? <laughs> oh, golly. Like something that completely swept you off your feet and you thought, okay, this response I didn't expect. For this well, it, it, it's interesting Sometimes it's more subtle than you think. And and oftentimes the CEO will say, well, we kind of knew that, you know, we've always known that's a problem, but they didn't realize it was a big problem, yeah. that it was almost stopping sales. And, and people, they what they what CEOs are always surprised about is how much these people know about their company, mm -hmm. including their dirty laundry and people who came and left and, you know, so, some insider information that they did not believe that anybody knew. Oh, wow. That was, that's always sort of the general big surprise. I would say that that, that software company I was telling you about, that was a massive shift because their whole marketing thing was this way and you had to go the other way. There was a company that sells liquid nitrogen in uh, California to labs and people like that. And they had a ready market in the sense that their competitors are doing a terrible job of being reliable when it comes to delivering the liquid nitrogen. And they're delivering them to scientists and researchers who have embryos or stem cells inside these big vats. And mm -hmm. if they run out of liquid nitrogen, that's dead yeah. particles, of course. I don't call them particles if they're um, embryos, but... You know what I mean? Their product then disappears and their 20 years of research is out the window. Uh -huh. So the reliability turned out to be the number one selling point in those cases. And that's what we push now. And that's why they're just they're just raking it in. I mean, their sales have just gone through the roof. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. What else is there in, in your, what is your book called? And what else is there that you feel we need to share right now that we haven't touched on? The book is called Roadmap to Revenue, How to Sell the Way Your Customers Want to Buy. Um, I think the, the taking off the buyer hat and putting on the seller hat is a big deal. I'm working on another book right now um, because I think we've lost the whole idea that we're selling to human beings mm. And that businesses could be a force for good in the world if we treated our customers and our employees the way they should be treated. 
the title of it is going to be Love, Leverage, and Logistics, How You and Your Company Can Change the World. Because I think I think businesses could be pockets of goodness mm. <laughs> instead of what's become this sort of corporate, they don't care. I mean, my husband and I um, introduced a lot of technical products and services when we were having when we had our agency. And one of them was voicemail. And I've regretted that ever since. I mean, back in the day when you could call a company and some nice person would answer the phone and say, I know exactly who you need to talk to. He's just about to come back to his office. I'll send you over right now, you know, or, oh, I can help you with that. You know, I'll just answer the phone. And yes, I have here, just do this and you'll be fine. Those days are gone and they shouldn't be gone. I mean, even Amazon, which is so good at um, giving customers what they want, for a long time, you could not get through to Amazon itself. Mm -hmm. And especially if you were a seller, they make it really hard for you to do business with them. It's the it's the antithesis of how easy it is to buy from them. Yeah. I think we've lost this. It's it's just, you know, the whole idea of taking care of people, which is to me what love is all about, is is missing. But you also need the logistics or you're not going to survive. Now with the introduction of AI in all kinds of uh, customer interaction um, points, do you think that uh, there will soon come a time where there will be the reverse again? Because what we're seeing is an acceleration. Yes, at some point when when a technology solution reaches its peak, there's a reverse in, in that trend. But do you, do you see this coming in AI? You know, it's interesting. I've been through so many technical um fads and crashes um what i personally see with ai now is they are trying to basically program um humanity the idea of being inter interactive with somebody and they're trying to program caring and it ain't even close yet okay it's just it's just not. And every single time you go and try to press one for this or two for that, that's the real problem with voicemail. Besides not having someone answer is very often they don't give you your choice. Like you wait all the way through number 10 and none of those were the thing that you had a problem with. So now you have to figure out which button do I push to get my problem solved. Chat is helping but robotic chat is just as pitiful because they're pro they only have certain this by the way comes back to the whole idea of personas and guessing what you think people want mm. it's kind of insulting if you're the customer and somebody assumes they know who you are I mean, the problem with personas, as I often say, is that an 18 year old kid will buy or man I should say will buy a blender for the same reasons that an 80 year old man would mm. so the persona doesn't help you their demographics don't help you what helps you is understanding specifically because you asked them what their desires and concerns and questions were and then you can move on with confidence and you can relate to them and they'll know it as buyers we know when we're being chatted up by a bot I don't care how sophisticated it is. You really do know. And again, it will get better. That's true. But right now it's very programmatic and 
it's not really working yet. So, so do you usually talk your clients out of uh, using AI? How do, how or how do you? No, 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 no. I, I, I believe that any new technology that comes along, all of us need to get on board right away. I've been embracing technology the minute it came out, understanding it, figuring out how best to use it, and then kind of working through the details and trying to leverage it at each stage. You have to, because your competitor is going to do it. But then still leave the option for human interaction or what is the... Yeah, yeah. You yeah. have to resort. You have to let them have an out. Yeah. So they get those that that question that had nothing to do with any of your menu options needs to be answered. That's the good thing about chat. I will say that I I actually prefer chat to voicemail because at some point you can say agent <laughs> agent representative, give me a human, and they'll say okay, okay, I'm backing off now, and I'll try to you know connect you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it can it can get really messy, and it's gotten messy. Um, Facebook is notorious for this, where you think you're solving your problem with Facebook advertising or whatever it is with a human because they're so well-programmed. But if they decide that your Texan driver license identity is not valid for some reason, that's it, man. You're out. Mm-hmm. I think I think as a society we have to be a little bit careful because now they're kind of giving themselves power that is going to keep us from being able to do things. Well, I as far as I understand on YouTube they've been uh, implementing AI um I don't know what it's called it it's not speech control but uh, like control on what you're expressing and it's um content has been shadow banned and in some cases even outright removed uh, by AI algorithms. People are not even looking at what you're posting. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, think about it. We're so used to it now. We 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 know there are cybersecurity issues. So the idea of two-factor authentication and and uh, getting a new code and all of those things. But the problem is, and I was marking, watching um, the guy who invented uh, Mozilla, and he was speaking at a, at a tech conference, and he was talking about the cloud, and it sounded so wonderful. And I have my whole business on the cloud. It's not like I don't get the cloud. The cloud's awesome. But every time you want to do something with a particular app, you have to sign in, then you have to get two-factor authentication. And if you don't have your password with you at the moment, so you need a password program. I use two different ones because who knows, you know, um, if one of them goes down or something, it, it's gotten very difficult to do your day-to-day -day tasks because you're always signing into an app somewhere. Yeah. And we've taken it for granted. We're, we're just accepting it because we have to, because it's the right thing with hacking and all that, mm -hmm. but it's a balance. I've never seen tech be all good. Yeah. It's it's you have to balance and understand and then try to use the technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, aligns with my tagline: success with a human focus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Very yeah. good. Mm. We're still selling to people. Yeah, we're not selling to bots. We're still selling to people, and you could say, well, they're going to have their own personal shoppers. And so maybe the bots will interact with each other. There'll be a sales bot and a buyer bot. And I'm sure that it's going to go that way. But I don't, I can't say to you, I can never predict exactly how it's going to turn out. 
I can only use it to the fullest when it's happening and learn what we can as we go. Yeah. Before we end, Christine, uh, give us a sneak peek about your new book. You kind of mentioned what it is about, but what are some of the... The, the, the basic idea I is I start with love because, um, it, it, honestly, love, again, it's just about caring for each other. Um, I was married for 45 years to the most wonderful man. We were in love until the last day of his life. Um, he got cancer, a fatal cancer for the second time uh, in his life. And I worked all through that with him with the feeding tube and everything. And we were still in love on the last day, but he was so bad off by the end that he ended up ending his own life. And this was a guy who was never depressed a day in his life. And so I, I learned about love from him. I also learned about love from my autistic brother, who's also just passed away from the same cancer, believe it or not. Um, and his, in his case, it was that, you know, autistic folks are often good at one thing. My, my brother's one thing was love. He was just the most effusive, enthusiastic greeter, uh, hugger, you know, everything was just so much fun. I took delight in the smallest of things. So I learned, and he was born when I was eight. So I really learned how to be a caretaker and, and empathize because he couldn't communicate well. Um, and that led me into the whole career path. But basically, I, I'm trying to help other people realize their dreams. That's my job in my life. So I want to talk about, in the book, I'm talking about love and how it's really caring for people. And in order to care for them, you have to understand them. You can't just guess. Same thing as this selling thing. And that's employees making, in my company, I make it a safe place for nice people to work. We have no jerks on staff, no jerk clients. If somebody turns into a jerk, I let them go. It's just, so we live in this jerk-free bubble. <laughs> we love it. It's awesome. Um, and then leverage, the second L is not like being greedy and trying to get more out of things, but it's more like if you are nice to people and you do care for them and you look out for their interests, you build this, this karma momentum and it becomes something that, that you can, people will work super hard for you. They'll, they'll give you every bit of help that they can. They'll go out of their way to help you. And it, it gives you more, Power is not the right word, but it, it it definitely helps you get more out of life because everybody's also helping you realize your dreams. And then logistics, it's not like the supply chain, although that's part of it. It's basic processes. When I was a revenue coach, I often found that, yes, the message was off, but the other weakness was the processes, the work systems for the employees. How easy was it to get your work done every day? You know, um, how easy was it for customers to buy? How easy was it for them to get service when there's something wrong? All of those things are process supported. So the first thing I did when I started this company was hire an infrastructure manager because I knew we were going to base our whole business on the cloud. Everything had to be bing, 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 right straight through, no, no double data entry. Mm -hmm. And um, unfortunately, there's a whole bunch of people even even in the younger generation, not just the old people, but who the younger folks too, who don't understand technology well enough to manage it properly. 
So they're kind of at the mercy of the programmers who maybe don't care that much about people. It's just not in their DNA. Mm-hmm. So I think putting those three things together and understanding the role they play in your business success um, and and making these pockets of goodness, as I mentioned before, I think businesses have a unique opportunity in the world at this point to, to start bringing good into the world that wasn't there, not just products and services, but this environment of caring and efficiency. Yeah. Do you see such an impetus in companies that you're working with? Well, the ones I work with aren't jerks. They actually do take care of their employees and their customers. And uh, the more they do that, the happier we are. We just have great relationships. Everything's fun. Um, and they just take off. I mean, it's just, it's so much fun. I live for that hockey stick. You know, you're going along like this and then bammo, you go up. I live for that. That's what we do. We bring qualified leads into our clients so they can close the sale. So mm-hmm. that's awesome. Fantastic. Christine, thank you so much for for all the input and the insights that you shared with us, for being vulnerable with your personal stories and, and for, for the general ease of the conversation. Thank you so much. How You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> How can people reach you, get a consultation, work with you? Uh. They can just Google Kristen Javago. That's the first easy way. I kind of dominate the results. Javago um, Partners is our website. Our book, my book is on Amazon, Roadmap to Revenue. And it's in Kindle, Audible, um, paper. Um, that's pretty much it. I'm on social, of course. But if you just Google Kristen Javago, you'll be fine. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Grow and Learn. We hope that you found our podcast informative, engaging, and inspiring. Our mission is to help you keep growing and learning, and we hope that our conversations and insights have provided you with practical advice and useful perspectives. If you're looking for personalized support and guidance to help you achieve your personal or professional growth objectives, I offer a range of services to help. As a trusted management partner and mentor, I work with businesses in the process of transformation, looking for new streams of business, as well as M&A. With an extensive professional network of experts and mentors, I can bring on board the right person or team based on the specific needs of the company I'm working with. To learn more about the services I offer and how I can help you achieve your goals, visit my website at growandlearn.org. You can also reach out to me via email or social media. I'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoyed this episode of Grow and Learn, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Your feedback is important to us and it helps us to continue to create content that is relevant and valuable to our listeners. Thanks again for listening and we look forward to sharing more insights and perspectives with you in the future.